Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Wisdom, a study through Proverbs. I decided to try to sit for a little bit, um, but when you have a whole thing, a whole bunch of stuff strapped to your butt, it becomes difficult. So we'll see how long that lasts. I'm so glad you're here to study with us, to worship with us to ponder the things of God with us, and this series has been very cool, just looking at these um, such insightful statements on how to live life, and uh, last week, uh, one of the main things Tim hit was how you think about God really matters. He shares this quote with with us. It's one of my favorite quotes um, by A.W. Tozer. It says, what comes into our mind when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Think about that for just a moment. How do you see God? You see, this will shape everything. It will shape how you read the Bible. The way you hear his voice will be shaped by your perspective of who he is. So we want to make sure that we have a proper perspective on who God is. So for some of us, because of our past, we might view God as a tyrant, just passing down rules from above and trying to keep us from having fun. For some of us, it might be that God is absent, that he doesn't really care what we do. And for some of us, we view him as this loving father. And so you can see how these different perspectives would affect how we would read the scripture and when we read it, how we hear it. Because our life will reflect how we think about the Lord. You know, in Psalm 34, 8, David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what it's like to taste something really good, right? You can see I like to taste things that are good. Okay? But we all do, right? And just to really illustrate this point and to have an excuse to eat something delicious on the stage, I brought something with me. These are chocolate chip cookies made by Kara's sister Candace. And Kara's sister Candace is an especially gifted baker. Okay? I've eaten... Did you hear that? People amend that. Okay. I mean, she brings in things all that she makes these homemade Snickers bars. I've never even heard of that. It's crazy, the stuff she makes. And so I told her, I said, would you make me something delicious for this morning? And she said, sure, I'd love to do that. Okay. So these are these homemade, unbelievable chocolate chip cookies, which I'm going to enjoy in front of you. <laughs> At least a bite of. Chewing with a microphone on is, it's a choice. (laughs) Mm. It's unbelievable. She puts like salt on the top of it. And I don't know why that makes it better, but it does. It's so good. When you, hang on. In the podcast, this will be really interesting. Nobody will know what's happening. When you taste something good, two things happen, okay? You respond to it, right? 
you taste and see something good, right? You, it, it invokes like joy, laughter, tears sometimes. I'm getting so emotional in my older age. Like I'll watch somebody sing something good on America's Got Talent. And I'll be like, I'm going to go in the other room. You know, it's, <laughs> I, you know because it's, it's good and you, you feel this connection with it, right? And when I taste this, it is really good, Okay. And my whole, I have a chemical response to it, an emotional response, a physical response. I go, whoo, that is good. And the second thing happens, I want to share it. So who wants a cookie? I don't have a, a ton, so I encourage you. They're kind of big. Thank you. Please share this with the people around you. <laughs> See, well, right here, I have a couple more. You don't get one because you baked them. Anybody else? I better run over here real quick. Please do. All right. Oh, I gotta, I gotta hit up my favorite ladies over here. There you go. Hey, I broke this one in half. I didn't. There you go. Because when you taste that, you go, this is unbelievable. You gotta taste this too. You know, me and Lisa play this game. When we go out to eat, we try to out order each other. Right, we look at the menu and, I th and we think, I think this is going to, I think I'm going to beat you in this one, right? But we share it, right? I'm not trying to hoard whatever thing I obviously beat her with, with my knowledge of culinary. <laughs> I want to share it, so I have this response. And then I want to share it. See, the psalmist says, hey, taste and see that the Lord is good, because he knows that as you start partaking in the Christian life, as you start pursuing who God is, you'll, the only result you'll be able to come to is this is so good. I've tasted real purpose instead of my own selfish ambitions. Can anybody testify how good that cookie is? Uh, uh, right. We just made everyone really mad. You're welcome. Right? I didn't want to make her make 700 cookies. I just felt like that was be selfish. But unbelievable the affection of the Father. And as we follow him, as we begin to know who he is, we just see that the depths, I'm not going to know how deep the love goes, but I'm astounded by it. And it shapes how I see everything in this world, including the scripture. So how do I taste and see that God is good? Well, you... You start seeing how he operates, seeing the ways he asks you to live. You let, give him over control, and you will see that he is good. You surrender daily. And as you see him for who he is, you will shift from trying to get yours in this life to wanting to help people know the affection of the Lord and by honoring him with your life. So when I look at Scripture, when I look at the promises God has given, but also the guidelines for which he's given me to live this life, because I have seen and tasted that he is good, and I believe that he is smarter than me, so his intentions are good for me, and he knows better than me, it's easier for me to follow the things he's asked me to do. Follow me. We can be interactive, unless you still got cookie in your mouth. 
right? Because I'm on this planet to represent Jesus to the world or represent Jesus or be an ambassador to the kingdom. And so I want to do that well. I want to honor him because I've tasted and seen that he is good. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is a really long proclamation of I have tasted and seen that he is good. I've tasted real purpose in this life of the things that really matter. So it would be silly for me to live with myself as the authority over my life. Because by nature, you will make selfish decisions, right? And if you're not, if you are your own authority, you will compartmentalize God in the story of your life. He will exist in certain places and you will deny his existence in others. Very common in the American church that God will exist in this building, maybe around the table at the beginning of a meal in your house, but I will keep him away from my work life. He certainly doesn't come with me on vacation. When I'm resting, I want him to be absent. In certain relationships, I want him to be absent. This is not I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's I love all the benefits of Christ. I love the salvation of Christ, but I still remain in control because I am my authority. It also gets you to a la carte scripture. And what we mean by that is I really love the scriptures that go along with what I already agree with. And so I'll post those on my page and everyone will see how spiritual I am. Because it's all the stuff I already agree with anyway. But the scriptures that really challenge me, I avoid. And I hope the pastor avoids them too. Because I'm not looking for conviction to be better if I'm my own authority. But if Jesus is my authority, and I really long to live a life that honors him, I want every word he has to offer because I've tasted and seen that he is good, and my response is worship. And worship in its simplest form is giving your attention and your affection to something. It's an overflow of the greatest love that has ever been known to man, and you walked right into it. You did nothing to deserve it. In fact, you probably did much not to deserve it, but luckily your God is merciful and ushered you in anyway. And so we respond to that love in worship. And when I know his affection, I want to share his affection with the world. And how we live is a reflection. I felt like I was just rapping. <laughs> just for a second. I was flowing. Did everyone feel that? Okay, good. I felt it too, okay? How we live is a reflection of our surrender to his authority. Got me? I swear my head is enormous. This thing just pops right off the back. Thanks, Dad. Um, our, how we live is a reflection of our surrender to his authority. There's so much great wisdom in the Proverbs and in the, in the Bible of just how to operate your life. 
And the reason why I care so much about what God says about these things is because I've tasted and seen that he is good. I really do want to honor him. I want to show him that I appreciate all you've done for me, God. And I want to live a life of purpose. See, I feel like God gives us protections and commandments and and, uh, a lot of the uh, statements of, I'd like you to live your life like this for two reasons. One, it's to save us from self-inflicted chaos. Okay? Into self to stop us from causing chaos to others. How to be a good citizen. But we can cause ourselves a lot of pain. But the second reason is he does not, he will not share the throne of your heart with anything. And he gives us these protections so nothing sneaks in and becomes your God. Which is very easy to do. And so many times you can break up what he's trying to do. I want you to be a good citizen or, hey, this can cause you much chaos. Trust me, I'm smarter than you. Because See, we, we're built to worship. From the very beginning, in the garden, you're built to commune with God. You're built to, to live your life, to walk with God, to practice the presence of God. Not to compartmentalize him. And because you're built to worship, if you don't keep God where he's supposed to be inside your life, at the top of your priorities, as your utmost authority, you will find something unworthy to worship. And idolatry is a big problem. We heard Tim talk about it earlier. It's a big problem. When our affection that should be placed in the Lord is placed in something else. It causes all kinds of chaos, anxiety, and issues, and problems because nothing's going to satisfy you. You can't love something that will not love you back. So the Lord places these protections. I know, I know what you're thinking. Are you going to read a proverb? Because <laughs> I haven't yet. Maybe you didn't notice. But I haven't. Okay. But before we really get into the Proverbs, okay, I want you to come with the right mind. How would I hear these words from the Lord? Because my prayer for each one of us is that you've tasted and seen that he is good. That you no longer live, but that Christ lives in you. So your deepest desire is to honor him with who you are. So when you hear these things that sound like rules sometimes and principles, you realize it's, it's coming from a loving father who desires the best for you. So let's jump into Proverbs 11. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Pretty simple. Your money's not going to mean much when you're dead. The generous man will be prosperous, and he, will, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessings will be on the head of him who sells it. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. These are all statements of, do not let money become your God. Just consider for a moment the stress in your life that's wrapped around money. 
it's like the number one thing that breaks up marriages. It can cause a lot of problems, but so let, let's just, let's be enlightened for a moment. If you own one car, you're richer, you know, the top 10% rich, richest people in the world. But I'm going to stress all about it because I, gotta, because I feel like the sense of security that comes with having money, that's really where my security lies. Well, it doesn't. It's not going to benefit me on the day of wrath. What I did with it is a reflection of who my authority is. The Bible talks so much about what we do with money. And I think it's because greed is sneaky. Other sin, like you kind of know that you've done it, right? You make a decision and you do it. Greed sneaks up on you and all of a sudden it's become your God. So we warn, he warns, says, be generous. How you will avoid this becoming your God is being generous. Don't hold on so tightly. You must live with eternity as the backdrop. Bless the people around you. Be generous. So I have a friend, I don't know if you have anybody like this in your life, but when we were in my mid-20s, he made me feel very unproductive. Um, he was, he's just good at everything and very smart and good looking and in good shape and do lots of stuff. But so we're, uh, he's in his residency to be an anesthesiologist and, um, I, we're at ch the church where I'm working. That's where he attended. And we are, uh, sitting down to dinner, like a Wednesday night dinner thing. And I said, what'd you do today? He was like, well, I ran 10 miles this morning. I sat in on two brain surgeries. I, I lifted on the way home. He listed like five things, right? And I said, I played guitar today. <laughs> you know, good friend of mine, great guy, okay? Now, when you're in your residency, you're dirt poor, all right? I mean, he is married, he has two kids. They are trying to figure things out. They're one of these couponing couples, right? I don't know if you remember. I don't know if this still exists, but like, it was a period of time where you could like coupon and get free stuff, and they'd have like 15 boxes of the same cereal because they could figure out how to get it for free that week, you know? They might not even like it, but they were going to figure it out. They were scrappy. Never complained, right? But they, were, they worked it out so that he could finish his schooling and so that she could stay home with the kids. But I remember when he finally was about to be a full-fledged doctor, and he knew the practice he was going to be in, and he was finally going to receive the benefits of working so hard. He had met with his financial planner. He came to me after, and he goes, Nick, you won't believe this. I'm going to be able to give away $600,000. He didn't tell me how much money he was about to make or save or do his college for his kids. He was astounded that God had blessed him in such a big way. He was going to be able to be mega generous. This was not like a dig me statement because I know him well. He was rejoicing in the opportunity to grow the kingdom in this way. Because you see, he's about to be a doctor. He's about to do some heavy things and help heal the sick and help people with pain. But he knows everyone comes to the same end. And the most important thing is that they know Jesus. And he also knows 
every gift he has was a gift from God. I was astounded by his generosity. And that he gets to live a life, and I promise you, this guy evangelizes everywhere he goes. He is sharing the Lord. So it was joy for him to share. Whatever gifting he had, whatever profit he made, he knew he was just hanging on to it for a little bit. That he was going to figure out how to give it away. See, this is a shift of authority, okay? His authority is Jesus. So he rejoices in what he can give away. If I'm the authority, I rejoice in the big boat I'm about to buy. Just kidding, I'm not really a boat guy. You see the difference? Jesus' authority, self-authority. And listen, when we talk about generosity, it absolutely has to do with money. But it has to do with you. Be generous with yourself, with your talents, and with your time. There's so many dads that you view your responsibility in your household as providing for your household. And so you work, and that's great. Thank you for doing that. Not making light of that. But when you come home and you're wiped out and you're waxed and you have a little man or little girl come up and they want to share in your life and you say, give me a little bit. Because you feel like you've done your job. You provided. But see, we make an idol out of that rest time. We come down and let me tell you, I'm getting a lesson in it right now. Your kids grow up in a flash. It's like yesterday my kids were three. Now I got one about to drive by herself. She's already driving with me in there. And I got another one that's, you know, halfway through middle school. And it really, it was, feels like yesterday. I mean, now hormones are just flying around my house. And I'm, the, I'm the only guy there, you know. And so you, you work it out. But, you know, that time is precious and limited in the time that I can speak life into my kids to where they really know their dad loves them. To really instill in them the affection of the father. So that they can own their faith one day. So let's be generous with our time. Because as I've seen and tasted that the Lord is good, it's just hard to be consumed in my own selfishness. And we're going to leak. Things get crazy sometimes. We need correction sometimes. In Proverbs 12, 1, this is one of my favorite verses. Because, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe you should read it, Esposito, because just listen. It would be better with a, with a uh, New York accent. <laughs> Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. He who hates reproof is stupid. I just love how blunt that is, right to the, right at it. I would, I, I would butcher a New York thing if I tried it, but it would have been beautiful, okay? So I'm going to give you, so around here, you know, there's a lot of baseball talk and stuff. It would be silly for me to give you a baseball analogy, all right? But I'll give you a music analogy, all right? And a shameless plug at the same time, okay? So next week, we have an unbelievable musician who's going to join us. Okay, he lives in Griffin. He's a friend of Tim and mine, 
And uh, he happens to be up here, so he's going to come play with us. Unbelievable. Don't miss it. Because he is coming, I'm going to be playing a little bit of banjo. Okay? I don't play banjo all the time. All right? I can play guitar generally without thinking about it too much. Banjo is a little bit different. It hurts my brain sometimes. Okay? So... I want the knowledge to be able to do it well, because I don't want to look like a fool, and it's a lot of fun. So I've disciplined myself to acquire that knowledge by, for the last three weeks, setting aside time and playing and playing and playing, sacrificing other things that I want to do because I want to acquire the knowledge of what it takes to not look like an idiot. So... He who loves discipline loves knowledge because if I want to be better, I will love the discipline that gets me there. But if I hate reproof, I'm stupid. Let's think back to David. King David, this is going to be the quick Nick, quick, I'm rapping all day today, quick (laughs) summarization of something that happened with David, okay? Most of you know this story, but for those who don't, we'll recap it, okay? He sees this beautiful woman. She's married to another man. He decides, I want her and I'm king. So he goes and takes her. She gets pregnant. He starts to freak out. So he uh, assigns her husband to the front line of the war so he knows he'll be killed. So he murders him, trying to cover his sin. Nathan comes to David and says, hey, is that how we honor the Lord with our life? Man, after God's own heart, I don't think so. What's David's reaction? Because, see, David leaked into the flesh when he made these decisions, okay? I find it highly intriguing that earlier in his life, his greatest enemy he could have killed, and he said, you know what, that wouldn't honor the Lord if I killed him. But when he slipped up in this scenario, he said, yep, kill that guy. One sin led to another. But when Nathan brings reproof to David... Because although he leaked into the flesh and he made bad decisions, his ultimate authority was God. So his response was repentance. And see, we're a high discipleship culture. Meaning that if you get really involved in here and you hang out in a small group, you might get asked some questions sometimes. This is highly revealing to who your authority is. (laughs) Because if someone asks you a question... If your authority is Jesus, then you consider what they're saying because you you want to be able to honor God with how you live your life. I'm not trying to protect my reputation. But if I am my authority, my my response could have many different avenues. Self-protection, slander of that person, fleeing. See it all the time. I'm going to leave because I'd rather not be asked those questions about my personal life. Well, but if you're not your authority, if Jesus is your authority, we want everybody to get better. And I can tell you from the top down, I get to ask Tim those questions. He gets to ask me those questions. We're going to ask you those questions. You can ask me. If you feel like I'm failing to honor the Lord in a certain place in my life, please come because I want to honor him. Because I tasted and seen that he is good. And once you've tasted the purpose of living for the kingdom, it's hard to want to go back. Because you realize it's just vanity. 
You have to guard how other people think about you. You're loved by the creator of the universe. I'm not going to hate reproof. I want to be better. And it's so, so easy for us to leak into selfishness. So there's something we, we talk about authority a lot here. And the reason why is because authority results in the absolutes by which you live. Those absolutes will determine your attitude, which will result in the actions that you have in this world. I'm going to say it again for you, just in case you want to write it down. You'll hear Tim say this often. Your authority will bring about your absolutes, which will bring about your attitude, which results in your actions. A whole bunch of A words. So I have to read it because I don't want to confuse them. Okay? This is very simple. If I am my authority, my absolutes are pretty much shifting all the time to whatever most benefits me. My attitude towards other people is how will they benefit me? I will use them to get what I need. I mean, that doesn't happen in church, but other places. That was sarcasm. <laughs> Which will lead to actions of you treating people that way and trying to just get what is yours. And it's tiresome and pointless. But if Jesus is your authority, your absolutes are his. Your attitude towards people around you must be compassion because he is compassionate to them and you've received so much compassion mercy and grace why would it not be extended to those around you because you know you didn't deserve it so your actions follow that attitude proclaiming the love of Jesus allowing him to invade every part of your life you know, I uh, have this friend, different friend, um, who uh, he's a bounty hunter, and um, he's had like, like weird jobs. Um, and he, he's the only guy I know who's been thrown out of a Hallmark. <laughs> this, he's he's he had some issues in the past, but we were with this ministry doing um, homeless ministry and uh, feeding under the bridges and things like that. And I was watching him serve in he was just like unbelievable at it because lots of people, when they go do that, they're in an, a different environment and they're a little scared. They're like, here you go, you know, and they kind of back up or whatever. He's just talking to people, looking them straight in the eye, giving them a hug, just all. And I, I looked at him, I said, you are so good at this. Why do you hold back in your relationship with Jesus? And I'll never forget this. And Jesus says, count the cost of following me. So I believe this, is a, this was a truthful, he's one of these guys, you don't have to wonder if he's being truthful. He definitely was. He said, I'm afraid of who I'd become if I totally let go. I might be one of the crazy people screaming on the corner if I let go of control entirely. <laughs> and although that made me sad, at the same time, I looked at him and said, you, you're counting the cost but you're missing out. 
you're missing out on what the God really has to offer you. What God could really show you through full surrender because of what might happen. But he understood that the Lord was asking for all of him. It was the most clear-minded thought process. He didn't waver. He didn't run. He just said, I'm, I'm going to hold back. I'm still going to do some of these things. He was sticking his toes in, seeing if this is what he wanted to do. But God asks for all of us. He's so jealous of that place at the top of your priorities. That's why he gives us these protections. He wants to show himself to you. And for some of you, maybe a large chunk of this talk, you're like, I, I don't know if I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I have trouble with a statement like, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he can shift your life in a moment. And maybe you've been in church for a long time and you've done it out of obligation. People come to church for lots of different reasons. I've worked in church for a while. I see people come to church because they think it's good for their kids. And they disregard everything that's been said up here. I don't get that at all. If it's good for your kids, why isn't it good for you? People come for lots of different reasons. So I don't know why you're here. Maybe you were dragged here. Maybe you were guilted in coming. But I'm glad you're here. And it doesn't matter the reason why you showed up. The Lord can reveal himself to you. And it won't mean that you will be totally separated from any sort of chaos in your life. In fact, we just sang about it. In that new wine song. That there's going to be trouble. Jesus promises us that. But when Jesus is your authority... You're looking for him inside of it. You're trusting that he's shaping you, that he's teaching you. You're able to come out on the other side in the victorious life that he's calling you into. So today, our prayer for each one of you is we really, really want to see you free. And even if you've known Jesus for a long time and you feel like, you know, I really know who he is. There's an opportunity for him to reveal himself deeper. I pray it every time we walk on the stage to play. Because my mind can't totally wrap around the gravity of the Father. So as we enter this time of prayer and communion and worship, if you want to taste and see that the Lord is good, there's going to be people here to pray with you. If you really want to get to a place in your own life where you can say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, because me being the authority of my life clearly does not work. I keep putting myself in terrible situations that are causing me panic and pain and anxiety. And we'll be here to pray with you. There is zero judgment. The people up here to pray with you are people who are figuring it out too. God calls us to do this together. So let's come together. Let's pursue the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit move in this place, move you into freedom. Let's see him properly. Thank you so much for watching the message today. We hope that this message inspired you and challenged you as you watched it. I encourage you to check out our website, 
It's thecrossloganville.org. There's a lot of information about our church there uh, that maybe can help you answer some questions about who we are. And don't forget that on our website, we have old messages and archived series. So you can spend a lot of time there learning and exploring. If you have any questions, you can contact us via the web or you could call us at the church at 770-554-3322. Thanks again for watching.